Amen. Today we are looking at the book of Jude. It is one of the most overlooked and one of the most fascinating books of the New Testament. In fact, I could probably spend, in fact, I made a list. I could probably preach 15 weeks easily on this book, this short little book. Or if I don't do that, at the very least, I could make today's sermon really, really, really long. And probably never, ever come close to scratching the surface this book has to offer. I was just listening again as Dennis wrote, I mean, I could preach about Sodom and Gomorrah, or sexual immorality and perversion. Or what about, I could talk about the archangel Michael, who was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses. Some of you went, what? Uh, the way of Cain, prophet in Balaam's error, Korah's rebellion. Uh, we could talk about Enoch, the seventh son of Adam who prophesied, or grumblers and fault finders, or the last times, or people who divide, or build yourself up. Praying in the Holy Spirit, that'd be an interesting one. Be merciful to the doubters, uh, snatch people from the fire, show mercy mixed with fear. There's, there's sermon topic after sermon topic loaded in these 25 verses. But instead of doing a 15-part or 20-part series on the book of Jude, or a, a really long, 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 long sermon today, we're going to give, a, going to give you a little overview of the book, and we're going to look at three things that Jude warned his listeners about, and he warns us about. And I guess if I could have given this sermon a, a different title than The Urgency of Responsibility, I might have called it What to Do with Those Who Try to Deceive You. Now, Jude was written by a man whose name was Jude. Uh, no, no, nothing there. He's the brother of James, who wrote the book called James. And uh, most scholars believe that Jude and James were actually brothers of Jesus. But it also appears that Jude did not really become a follower of Jesus until after Jesus died and after he rose from the grave. But Jude and James both turned out to be leaders in the early church. Now, you can go back and look at this a little later, but the book of Jude and the second chapter of Second Peter are so similar that it's obvious that maybe one used the other as a source, or maybe they're both written from the same source, but it's kind of a coin toss to guess who influenced who, but they're both writing kind of about the same thing. Now, Jude is also a very fascinating book because he actually quotes from two books that are not in the Bible. He quoted from The Assumption of Moses. You ever heard of that book before? He also quoted from First Enoch. Now, these books were pretty popular among the readers of his day, and he used them to make his point. He also kind of rattled off a whole bunch of Old Testament references where he just kind of mentions people by name, knowing that his readers, because they were well-read in the Old Testament scriptures, knew what he was talking about. Uh, for example, in the one verse, he, he mentioned the way of Cain, the error of Balaam, and the rebellion of Korah, knowing that his readers would all know what those stories were all about. Now, today, uh, a lot of us would need to be reminded about what was the way of Cain. What was the error of Balaam? And who on earth was Korah? And why did he rebel? Well, I'll leave that to your afternoon study because the Cowboys don't play till Monday night. Saints probably play today, though, don't they? Yeah, I knew Jason would know. 
Jude wrote the letter to the church, and he probably wrote it to a whole group of churches, and, and he points out his reason for writing it right away in verse 3. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. See, he really wanted to write a very happy letter. I want to tell you some more about what it really means to be saved, but they had a problem that was going on in their churches that, that desperately needed to be addressed. Now, some people had kind of insinuated themselves into positions of influence, and they were in the process tearing the church apart, not by teaching bad doctrine, but by injecting an immoral lifestyle. And this is what Jude is writing about. And so he writes knowing that the whole church... The sincere believers and the struggling leaders and these insidious deceivers would all hear what he has to say. Because that's what would happen in the synagogue. We got a letter from somebody and everybody would be there and they would all sit and listen, no matter whether you were part of the good, the bad, or the ugly. And I have a feeling that he wrote hoping that these people who had been causing some problems would become aware of what was going around them and they would take some appropriate action. I also believe that he, he hoped that they would have a change of heart and a change of attitude and a change of direction. So Jude does not really beat around the bush in this book. He does not pull any punches. He makes it very clear that his letter is one of urgency. It is a matter of life and death. Now, the problem was that these individuals were emphasizing minor doctrinal differences. They, they were not talking about minor doctrinal differences like the mode of baptism. Do we dip, dunk, wash, or sprinkle? Uh, they weren't really talking about styles of worship. You know, can we have contemporary worship? Can we have uh, liturgical worship? Can a pastor or not wear a robe? They were attempting to sabotage the very foundation of the Christian faith that had been taught from the very beginning, not only by Jesus, but by his very disciples. They were attacking the character and the nature of Jesus. They were attacking the work of Jesus, the meaning of his death, the meaning of his resurrection, and they were attacking the doctrine of grace, and they were deriding God's call to holiness. Jude said, quote, They changed the grace of our Lord into a license for immorality. Now, what does that mean? Well, what this means is they, they were not teaching that God calls us to holiness, but sometimes we struggle with sexual sin and we need his grace and mercy to help us achieve victory. They were not teaching that. Instead, what they were teaching is, hey, friends, sexual sin no longer exists. Because of God's grace, you've been forgiven and you can do whatever your body wants to do because it's all covered by grace. <clears throat> now, i got to tell you, if that applies to sexual sin, it also applies to every other area of ethics you come up with. I mean, you only have to, uh, to tell the truth when it's convenient. Why? Because your lies have been covered by grace. You can be racist, you can be elitist, you can be selfish, you can be dishonest, and you can use people for your pleasure and your own purposes, and it's all good, they said, because it's covered by grace. That was the nonsensical teaching that had crept into this church. It's kind of like saying, I'm saved, and now I can do whatever I want because Jesus will forgive it. It's kind of like that old saying, we go out on Saturday night and sow our wild oats and come to church and pray for crop failure. 
God's going to forgive it all. Now, i got to tell you, friends, one of the most wonderful things about Christianity is that it teaches that it doesn't matter who you are. It teaches it doesn't matter what you've done or how many times you've fallen or how ugly the sins are that you've committed. You can be forgiven. You can be made right with God. You can be given a new life in Jesus Christ because your God is a God of mercy. What's surprising to me is that there are still people who can hear that wonderful truth and they can twist it to the point where they say, this must mean that rules no longer apply to me. Some people use the mercy and the grace of God to justify an immoral lifestyle. Some people use it to justify greed or gossip or uh, selfishness or laziness. They just say, because of God's grace, I can do whatever I want. Jude says, no, you can't. That's not the case. And then he gives us several examples to show consequences of those people who literally thumb their noses at the goodness of God. He reminds them how God had led his people out of Egypt, and when they continued to rebel against him, he finally said, this generation will not enter the promised land. You will die in the desert. The next generation will inherit the land of milk and honey. And we know that only two people who came out of Egypt, actually went in to the promised land. He reminded them about angels who had rebelled against him and abandoned their positions of authority in heaven, and they were thrown into darkness. He reminded them about Sodom and Gomorrah, who, who could have been saved, but they completely and unanimously gave themselves over to sexual immorality, and these cities were destroyed. See, what Judas is saying, friends, and I hope you picked this up when you heard Dennis read this to you before, is that there are consequences to our behavior. God pours out his mercy on his people, but when his people take the attitude, that means that rules don't apply to me anymore, God is going to send you a wake-up call. So he's really telling his readers here, very simply, watch out. For the deceivers. Maybe that would have been a good sermon title. Watch out for the deceivers. They're headed for destruction in their own lives. And if you follow their teaching, you follow their behavior, you're going to experience the very same thing. Now, I haven't got to my three points yet, by the way. I'm still in my introduction. This is a long introduction today. But Jude kind of points out some red flags. And as you read through scripture sometimes, you ought to be able to spot those red flags. You know, the first red flag I spotted in there is he called these people who were teaching this godless. Godless. Now, that struck me. That's kind of strange. They're in the church. They're attending church. But he accuses them of being godless people. Now, the word, the Greek word translated godless refers to a person who fails to worship. When he said they're godless people, he said these people are there, but they don't really Worship. They may have a religious life, but they don't have a devotional life. Uh, one of my favorite Christian speakers and writers, his name is Craig Groeschel. He pastors a, a big church that centers out of Oklahoma somewhere. He wrote a book not long ago called The Christian Atheist, which is a strange sounding book, on The Christian Atheist. And it's about those people who say that they believe in God but live as though he does not exist. It's like being a Sunday morning Christian and a Monday morning pagan. And this is the kind of stuff that Jude was talking about. 
There's another red flag that's waving in here, and it says, These men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. Kind of reminds me of politics today. Everybody's got an opinion about stuff, and most of it they don't have the biggest idea what they're talking about. <coughs> for these people, there was no room for exploring ideas. <coughs> there was no room for discussion. There was no room for debating. There was no room for an opinion. <coughs> If you don't agree with what they had to say, well, you're just an idiot. And they didn't bother to mask their contempt. There's another red flag here. He says that these people tend to be self-serving. He calls them shepherds who only feed themselves. And they tend to be all talk and no action. How does, I heard this not long ago. You know, what? big hat, no cattle. Anybody familiar with that one? Big hat, no cattle. You know, they tend to be all talk, no action. He said they're clouds without rain. Uh, They are trees without fruit. He also said they're grumblers, they're fault finders. And and the Greek here referred to the kind of perfectionist for whom nothing is ever good enough. They're always going to gripe. They're always going to complain. They're always going to be fault finders. They're always going to criticize no matter how good people are, whatever. Worst of all, he says... These are the people who divide you. They're the ones who create divisions. And in other words, they're kind of tearing the church apart a little rip at a time, a little rip at a time, pitting one group of people against another. Now, this happens in churches all over the world, friends. And many churches have to deal with these kinds of people. So Jude tells us, beware, beware of these people. And even though he goes into great detail about the kind of problems that these people can cause, the purpose of this letter is not so you can learn who they are, so you can point them out and point your finger at these other people. The purpose of this letter is to encourage you to contend for the faith in your own personal life. Or to quote the great theologian, my grandma, sweep in front of your own door first. Last week we talked about Choosing influences. Today's message would probably be called excluding influences. Who should not be in your life? Who should not be telling you what to do? Now that's my introduction. That's a long introduction. You can only imagine how long the sermon's going to be now, huh? <clears throat> not really. I'm going to talk about three things that Jude is telling us. Here's the very first thing don't let anyone get between you and Jesus. That's, that's my first point. Don't let anyone get between you and Jesus. Look what he says in verses 17 to 19. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Don't let anyone get between you and Jesus. Now, one mark of a cult leader is that that leader takes the place of Jesus in the minds of his followers. His word becomes more important than the real word of God. Following him becomes more important than following anybody else. Now, we can see that in some really extreme things like Jim Jones. You remember that one? Or even closer here to Waco to David Koresh. But it also happens to some extent even in traditional Orthodox churches. What happens is sometimes we put our leaders or our pastors up on a pedestal and we give them more power and more influence than they deserve. 
And then what happens? When they stumble and when they fall, it causes people to question their faith. And i got to tell you, it breaks my heart every time I ever see a spiritual leader fall. It breaks my heart for them, but I'm going to tell you something. It does not cause me to change what I believe about Jesus. Now, I've heard people say, well, I'm not, I'm not a Christian anymore because of what some Christian person did. This guy called himself a Christian and he cheated me in business. Or I'm not going to be a Christian because the church is only full of hypocrites. Now, those things are terrible, no question about it, but I'm not going to let them that change what I believe about Jesus. I mean, I'd go so far as to tell you that if Billy Graham got up tomorrow and renounced his faith in Jesus Christ, I would be sad for Billy Graham, but it would not change one thing about what I believe to be true about Jesus. See, my hope isn't built on any church. My hope is not built on any denomination. My hope is not built on any preacher. Well, what does that hymn verse say? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Why? Because all other ground is sinking sand. Don't let anyone get between you and Jesus. Make sure that he is at the center of your life, not on the periphery of your life. Walk with him. Talk with him. Day in, day out. Don't let anything or anyone get in your way of Jesus. Jesus is first in your life, and guess what? There is no two, three, four, five. He's just it. Here's the second thing. Don't let anything get between you and spiritual discipline. Don't let anything get between you and spiritual discipline. Now, in verse 20, he says, But you, dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you build up your faith? I suggest to you that there are at least five things. Prayer and Bible study and fellowship with other Christians and worship and serving other people. If you kept those five things active in your life, if you would devote yourself to prayer... Grow in the knowledge of God's Word. Spend time with godly people. Spend time in God's presence. Lose yourself in service to other people. I'd suggest to you that you'd become a pretty rock solid in your faith. You would be able to spot deception at a distance. And you would know who you ought to keep out of your life. You'd know those people who have negative influence. Don't let anybody get between you and your spiritual disciplines. That's why Jude says... Build yourself. Now, that means you. You are responsible for your spiritual growth. I can't do anything but lead you to water. I cannot make you drink. I can set the Word of God out in front of you every week. And you can walk by me at the door and say, nice message, Pastor. And you can go out and you can live like a pagan for the rest of your week. I I can't do anything about it. That's your job. I tell you, it galls me when I hear people who leave a church who say, I'm not being fed. Come on, grow up, feed yourself. That's what we do with babies, isn't it? We feed them for a while, but when they get big, we don't just keep sticking a pacifier in their mouth. We don't keep feeding them pablum. Sooner or later, they've got to chomp down on a good steak, don't they, Jimmy? I mean, they need some teeth. They need to get at it and get at it themselves. Sorry, that's my personal rant. That just gripes me when I hear people say, well, I'm not learning enough. Well, learn it yourself. 
I hate to be cranky that way, but you could read your Bible. I don't need to be the only one who studies the Bible. You know, I don't need to be the only one who prays for people. You can pray for other people. I don't need to be the only one who does some mission work. You can do mission work. I'm not the only one who has to serve. You can go ahead and serve. You do it yourself. In the next verse, it said, keep yourself in God's love. It, it, you know, it says, we're kept by Jesus Christ. He's saying, God will take care of you, but don't let go. It's your job to hang on. I told somebody that this morning. Hang on. Hang on. And if you get down to the end of your rope, what do you do? You tie a knot in it and you still hang on because Jesus is still there. Now, I've been a Christian my entire life. And I cannot emphasize how much effect five spiritual disciplines have had on my life. Prayer and Bible study and fellowship and worship and service. And I can tell you from personal experience that when I have neglected one of those, and sadly there have been some times I think that I have neglected all five of them, I have paid the price for it. Don't let anything get between you and Jesus. Don't let anything get between you and the basic disciplines of the Christian life. Here's the third thing he's saying. Don't let anything get between you and a life of mercy. Don't let anything get between you and a life of mercy. Verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Jude says this because you and I, every last one of us, need God's mercy. Now, this, this is going to sound like a trick question, and maybe it is. When you extend mercy to someone, who's at the receiving end of that mercy? Well, I'm going to take you back to Matthew 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If I'm merciful to you, I'm extended mercy. Isn't that interesting how that works? For this reason, that's why Jude says in verse 21 to 23, As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now, <laughs> if you live long enough and you have enough friends, there will be times when you have good Christian friends who will question their faith and they will stumble a little bit. Don't judge those people. Show mercy. There will be times in your life when your friends will do more than stumble. They will fall face down in the mud. They will get themselves dirty, and sometimes they're going to be really slow to get back up again. But don't judge them. Instead, show mercy. Reach down and pick them up and do it in love. And then there's probably another group of your friends that they're going to be people who don't stumble in the mud. They don't fall in the mud. They dive head first into the mud. They wallow around in it like a pig. And guess what? Don't judge them. We show them mercy. We don't let them drag us down. Instead, we carefully pick them up. See, now, Jesus is saying that every last person you know deserves your mercy. You don't condescend to everyone. You give everyone you meet a hand up. See, the Christian life is really a life of mercy. It defines how God relates to you and must define then how you relate to other people. So we can go back and say again, what is the urgent message of Jude's letter? 
It's the urgency of responsibility. You are responsible for you, for what you think, for what you believe, for who you listen to, and what you do. He's saying that when you become a Christ follower, it's your job to keep Jesus first in your life. It's your job to be consistent in your spiritual discipline. It's your job to show mercy to the world around you as you wait for the full expression of God's mercy in your life. He's saying it's up to you. That's how you contend for the faith. Now, Jude closes with a beautiful doxology, a beautiful blessing. And I'm going to close today's message with his words from verses 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's stand and join together in our...